everyone and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we will pop up and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Also, like, subscribe, follow, wherever you're listening to this, Apple iTunes, um, you know, Spotify, wherever this is. Uh, please follow us, leave us a rating or review that really helps us out. If you feel so inclined, please do so. Uh, today is all about Ingmar Bergman because this is our final episode on Bergman. To some of you, this will be a rejoice, like you will rejoice this day. Others will be bummed. And then the ones that don't know any better will be like, I don't know, I just listened to it. But the point is, uh, this is going to be a fun time. So uh, I'm going to let us talk with Matthew Sosi first, and then uh, at the end, so this is kind of reversed because usually I do solo stuff early on, but at the end, I am going to do a top five favorite Ingmar Bergman movies, and they're just my personal favorites. So without further ado, I actually just want to jump straight in to uh, my conversation with Matthew Sosi, picking up off of uh, our episode two episodes ago. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Fanny and Alexander. We recorded these actually at the same time, um, but it was so long I ended up just making it two episodes. So, hey, we're going to jump in. Stay tuned afterwards. I'll give you some more info. But let's go see what Matthew Sosi is up to. All right, everybody, we're going to do our final film in the Bergman Cinema with Matthew Sosi. This is the seventh movie um, out of the ones that uh, Sosi picked here. I don't know why I'm like out of breath. Why am I out of breath now? Um, I, I have that effect. You're welcome. <laughs> is, is this the lightest Bergman film we've talked about? This might be. You know what? Even though it's like it, it is a, the subtext is a real bummer of what's happening. It does not feel as bummer as a lot of his yes, others. Less bummer. Yeah, <laughs> I would say this is very much a detour to Bummerville. This is not really a direct route, um, but it is uh, Fanny and Alexander, nineteen eighty-two. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think this came out first, and then they made the Fanny and Alexander. Unlike scenes from a marriage, didn't the TV series come out after this? I think so because, well, Bergman knows where his bread is buttered. If you, you know, if you if you get a chance, friends, um, Bergman's relationship with his home country of Sweden is is a complicated one. He had to live in Germany for a while, and uh, you know, we we mentioned before, certain films would get released by the end of the calendar year, so it could be up for Academy Award considerations. I don't know what the sweet, I don't know if there's a Swedish version of the Academy Awards, but they don't have as much pull as the Oscars. But uh, so, yeah, I think you're right on this is the fact that he made a or he shot it and released the theatrical version first, then the TV version. But, you know, Bergman's answer, kind of like dogs licking their elbows because he could. (laughs) That's 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 what we got here. This was the first Bergman film I watched. Um, This was I was 12, 13 when this film came out. And, you know, Siskel and Ebert raved about it. So like cinematic sheep art house D-bag movie sheep. I had to watch it. I rented it. And it's another one where I'm like, okay, I sort of get it. It's not a kid's film. 
this pen, no matter what the calendar or the poster says. Um, but it was something, and it was one I was able to appreciate more as I got older. There, there's some friends uh, of uh, more acquaintances to me, but they're friends of my wife. Like they're people we run into every once in a while. An older couple um, that uh, my wife knows just through like different work and different things that she does in the in the city. And uh, it was right before Christmas, and um, there is this art fair that my wife kind of runs, and I help her do it. And at the end of it, we all go to dinner and celebrate a successful art fair, which is like a fundraiser for this – For this, uh, it doesn't matter. The point is it's a fundraiser. No, it's fine. And uh, there's this couple, and uh, they're like, what are you guys going to do with your holidays, right? And we're just like, you know, oh, we're doing this. We're hanging out with family. You know, what are you guys thinking? And they're like, oh, well, we're going to go home now, and, uh, you know, we're going to watch Fanny and Alexander. And for Christmas <laughs> – By the way <laughs> – it, I guess by if you ha- if we have to do this, uh, Fanny and Alexander's a Christmas movie. Uh, <laughs> no, no, yeah, it's take funny. That diehard people. Yeah, for for as much as for as much as uh, a diehard is considered, this might as well be because there is technically a Christmas tree, Christmas presents given, and it takes place on a snowy, very. I mean, it's like snow apocalypse yeah. there, just like yeah. we just had here. Um, yes. I, I was an extra in Die Hard 2, and I don't give a shit what a Christmas movie is or is not. Guess what? There's a scene in Dark Water set on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I mean, <laughs> if it's an excuse to watch Die Hard, I'll do it, but I agree with you. I don't consider yeah. these movies. So, yeah, here's a Christmas yeah. movie. Fanny and Alexander, sit down, suckers, and watch this. You're so smart. <laughs> yeah, dude. And, but I honestly, because they said that, I was like, because I, I like, with movies I know I'm going to watch, I often don't look into them. It's kind of, unless I already know stuff. So it's like, okay, like, what is this about? Is this a Christmas movie? So I start the movie, and it's Christmas time. So I'm like, holy shit! This is some like weird Christmas thing, and nobody it's dies. Definitely not. Yeah, nobody gets divorced. Yeah, yeah. There aren't ten minutes of someone like you know looking Breathing like death. Um, yeah. So, anyways, uh, um, back to the lead-in, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Fanny yeah, and yeah. Alexander is the uh, cinematic, like theatrical version of what would the next year, 1983, be a miniseries, which uh, I have not yet watched either. I watched Fanny and Alexander Full Transparency late last night. So this is a fresh take, okay? All right. Um, so I'll, I'll look forward to you filling in some gaps that I may or may not miss. Uh, but it's written and directed by Ingmar Bergman. Again, 1982 is the year it came out. It was released December 17th, 1982 in Sweden. And then we got it June 17th, 1983. So there you go. Yeah, Christmas now. movie right there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is Christmas in July or June, but I yeah. mean, like you know, that it's more of that, I guess. But uh, again, like the others, if you want to watch this, it's on HBO Max in the Criterion Channel. Yep. And um, you know, as the children or as children in the loving Eckdell family, Fanny and Alexander enjoy a happy life with their parents who run a theater company. After their father this, dies, this, by the way, as somebody who does theater, every theater company wishes this that they looked and acted and dressed like this theater company. We all, because I mean, the, the thing about a theater company or, or a play is that you are with a group of people for a very short period of time. It's very intense. It can be intense, even, even if it's a fun community production, because you're, you're all there with one goal in mind is to put on this show and bonds are made. And then you're, you do the show and you, and you're done. And, but there are people that, 
you will you will do another production a year later or two years later or whatever, and you'll see this person. And if it's if it's a good enough bond, you pick up as if no time is left off, yeah. and you miss yeah. certain people because you haven't been with them. But but in this case, it is a a company, a regular company, and you know even the most. Uh, down dressed person in this film looks looks fabulous. I want to mention as well with this film, um, you might say Bergman made up for lost time by the lack of art direction in uh, in scenes from a marriage. Um, this has it in spades. This film, Bergman got a nomination for director, got a nomination for screenplay, uh, original screenplay, one best foreign film, one best costume design, one best art direction, and one best cinematography. Another one for Sven Nickvist. And yeah, uh, yeah oh. it's a gorgeous looking film. And Nickvist worked with them on. I mean, how, I don't know if pretty it's every it, single one, but half. yeah, all, all like it started when we started pretty much somewhere around when yeah. we started this marathon and for like 30 years, this dude's working with him and yep. it's great. And, and, and he is responsible for a large part of Bergman's vision being brought into reality, manifesting the way it does. And there's, <laughs> there's a moment, there's a moment early on with Alexander under a dining room table because that's where children hang out. And, and he's staring at this in the, into the dining room and the living room. It's, you know, this, this house is so big. It has rooms that don't have names. Yeah. You're like, well, that would be our <laughs> living room, but it's their lounge or whatever. This, what is ha- the you know. room, this is the room that only exists to have a Christmas tree at Christmas. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, Christmas trees with candles. When, Dude, I, yeah, I this don't is know a period when, piece again, real quick. This is a yeah. period piece. All right. This is what? Or, I mean, there are like vehicles and stuff. So this are no, there are. It doesn't early, matter. Early the point 19, is, this is. Country. Yeah. This is this is uh, this is a period piece, but there are candles in when did, when the tree. Did we send the memo. When did we send the memo on stop fucking fucking put candles on trees? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. But anyway, Alexander's under a table and he's looking for things. And, you know, he has his, you know, he has a young imagination. It sometimes gets the best of him or the worst of him. And, uh, you know, a statue starts to move and look at him. And there's little homages to other, his other films. So right out of the gate with Alexander, we get um, the thing where fantasy and reality kind of come into play, which which happens with young people. I'm 52, and sometimes that happens. But you, you get the idea where, yeah. and this is going to come back to haunt Alexander later on in the film, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, it's funny we mentioned. I, I I I've mentioned this before. When you have a film that opens with a wedding, it's not going to end well. And the two great examples <laughs> I use are Breaking the Waves and The Deer Hunter. And I, I was worried, even though it's not a wedding, but we get a glorious Christmas party with the family and the company, and we get a lot of side subplots involving the uncle and a maid and and a couple who were old lovers and now they're friends and Earl and Joseph shows up again and he's yep. one of them yep. and the children and I mean it's just a you could you could hang out at this party and drink vodka on the rocks all day with them. And uh it's a it's a lovely, lovely way to start this show this film. Yeah, yeah. It's uh <clears throat> man uh, I'll get there. Uh so <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it's it basically just to set this up again, the, the, the children are, uh, Fanny and Alexander, they enjoy this happy life with their parents who run a theater company. And after their father dies unexpectedly, uh, the siblings end up in a joyless home with their mother, uh, uh 
Emily, and she marries a stern bishop. And the bleak situation gradually grows worse as the bishop becomes more controlling. Uh, but dedicated relatives make a valiant attempt to aid Emily, Fanny, and Alexander. And the film, you know, you, you talked about it. Uh, you know, Fanny and Alexander, they are the title, like uh, the title characters or whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah, this is about a lot. This has a lot of moving parts. There's a, there are a lot yeah. of people involved. There are a lot of side uh, points with uncles and stuff. And and I do want to go back to the uh, theater company thing you mentioned. The father who is kind of running this theater company, he has a monologue at the beginning, before the big party and everything. I thought that was such a touching monologue that he has. What a great, and it felt very Bergman to me. Like, just in terms of like, the close, it's a close up on his face. It's a lot of expressions. He's kind of like, uh, you know, giving this, uh, it's like part forlorn, part happy uh, monologue, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I wrote. I wrote. If he, he's a, he's a less funnier Fezziwig for you fans of A Christmas Carol. I mean, it's <laughs> the kind of boss or husband or father that you kind of want in a in a company like this. You, as I mentioned, you you know you're brought over for Christmas dinner, and it's the most ridiculous. And and they had those, and it's not just movie dinner, but you know they had these. 12 course dinners that lasted nine hours and you have, you know, everybody's impeccably dressed and we, you, you know, you wish you had an experience like this. At least I did. And uh, yeah, he's, you know, he, he is a lovely man before we get into the other marriage. Yeah. I, yeah. It's a great start. Yeah. It's um, so uh, I watched this uh, very snowy movie during the snow apocalypse that we have had. Perfect. Hey, at least so, you weren't watching Misery. I mean, there's there there are worse films you watch when you're snowed in. No, but you know what's funny is I almost didn't even notice the snow because by this point I'm like multiple days into like just snow mountains outside my house, and I'm like watching. I'm like, oh shit, this is a snow movie. This feels so real because it just looks like normal to me right now. Um, right. But yeah, like we said before, this is Bergman's kind of final theatrical work, like his big. Last beloved movie. Some people call it his swan song, even though he would go on to make tons of TV movies after, like, like fifteen, like ten of them or something. I'm gonna be, I'm, and I'm gonna be in the minority. I think Sarah Bam is a great film, and so the, I, I tend to use that as a swan song. But I think from from a budgetary scale, I mean, this is a this is a huge splash. Yeah, yeah, and and even like looking at movies, like uh, you know, seeing clips and stuff from some of the later stuff after Fanny Alexander, including Sarah Band. And they don't look like this. You know what I'm saying? No, so it's like I no. get the distinction, though I agree with you. I would still count the those movies after, but uh, but this is this does, from what I've seen, feel like the last. This feels like such a Bergman film in every way, um, and uh, except for it's not as bummer. We already covered that, uh, but <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, but I mean, it, it is a it still is a bummer. It's just it doesn't feel as much like a bummer as a lot of others. Um, uh, but the, uh, man, a there is a Christmas, you know, going back, <laughs> a, bum, that's a, a bummerville Christmas. That's the network special. Yeah. Just- <laughs> yeah. This, the, the, the sequel. Uh, so, uh, cries and whispers. I talked about some of the responses, uh, that Liv Ullman and Ingrid Thulin, the sisters have to their relationship with and the death of Harriet Anderson's, uh, Agnes. And how they almost they felt like parodies to me at times, yeah. and it kind of uh, pulled me out of it sometimes. And of course, I'm watching these things retro 
respectively, right? So, uh, of course, at the time, it probably would not have had the same effect. Unfortunately, I am uh, held by the time in which I've seen it, and we've had way too many parodies. Uh, Fanny and Alexander, there's a scene that I also don't, much like Agnes, who got away with the strange breathing and the bizarre behavior. Um, the mother's mourning of the father's death in this. Yeah. There's yeah. a point where Fanny and Alexander are asleep and they're awakened by this screaming. And I mean, it sounds like someone's being murdered. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. they kind of go to investigate because uh, F- Fanny's a pretty laid back kid. Alexander is um, kind of like the, almost like the stereotypical, what people go like, boys will be boys, you know, cause he's just kind <sighs> of like, I don't want to call him a troublemaker, but he's just like, uh, he's, he doesn't take shit like <laughs> you know what yeah you know what else doesn't help and, and i, I kind of rant and now i'm getting uh alice is going to join me on the front stoop you know just as bad as candles on trees and they stop doing it eventually stop putting boys and, and girls in sailor suits yeah stop doing that yeah it's weird that's not, i mean that's there's when when my when my wife was pregnant with our daughter emma you know, we were going through like every parent does, you know, the names and, you know, what do we, if it's a boy, we name them this. And if it's a girl, we name them this. And I, I, I put myself as the, uh, as the schoolyard filter. I'm like, you know, is this name going to give this kid an ass whooping in a schoolyard? And I'm like, I, I guess they, they, it was more acceptable to dress them like sailor suits. So there was less of a version of getting an ass whooping yeah. unless, you know, somebody from a Charles Dickens novel shows up and beats their ass. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop, eventually they stop putting sailor suits on children. So thank God for that. Yeah. It's, it, it is a bizarre trend, I guess, isn't it? I, my apologies to anybody in the Navy. I'm sorry, but <laughs> come on. It's a bad look. You're, you're looking like that. I want a dog and a Baca's Cracker Jacks. Holding <laughs> I know. Up. I know. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, you know they they, they he's uh, we'll get to him kind of being a bit of a of, of a troubled child, which is only exacerbated by the later marriage. You're, but you're not a so the two ways you find out that you're a man is you have sex and you get to wear long pants. What the hell? <laughs> Jesus, that I mean that is the way that is, that's that's how I figured it out. Oh, we've um, we've evolved as a species. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Fanny and Alexander hear this screaming. They leave their room. They're awakened by it. They leave their room. They're walking through this house yeah. again through rooms. I have no idea what the names would be. <laughs> they're just just room after room. They're opening doors. A, I'm like, it, what in the fuck is happening? Well, it's it's rough to have a sixty room house, and that's why you have so many <laughs> servants, so you can take care of. You know, they got this person has ten rooms, and this person has ten rooms. My God! And it's Christmas, so the whole family's there, and there's still room for everything. Like, like they're <laughs> you know, all lost. I think the Overlook Hotel was smaller compared to this house. <laughs> so anyways, these kids uh, walk through like a billion doors and they finally get to this room where, where like the, the father get is smart. Yeah, the father <laughs> gets smart. Uh, the father's uh, in the casket. It's still open. And the mother's yeah, in there just screaming. Now, yeah, now, just to set the picture here, they're in the room, I believe, where the Christmas tree was or so just like some big open room. And on the other end is a small parlor room and they have the sliding recessed doors and it's just yeah. open about a foot. So the you just funeral see room apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you, you see the mother just kind of pass by the gap 
every once in a while. And you can see the father perfectly lined up in the gap. So again, visual, nonverbal storytelling. We get the whole picture instantly. This is what Bergman does the best. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you just hear these wailing scream and I'm talking like blood curdling screams, right? It's, it's right up there with, uh, with Ruby D at the end of do the right thing. Dude, it's horrifying. yeah, Yeah. 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 I had took me a second to pick that up, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's unlike the cries and whispers thing. This is exaggerated. I love that you laugh every time. I don't mean for it to be. No, um, we're 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 a sick, we're a sick crowd. (laughs) Yes. But this is like, I mean, this is, uh, this is heavy, man. Yeah. Like this, I, I mean, I took this very seriously and it's, it's this very exaggerated again, like she's being stabbed. But if you ever watch those videos that, that I encourage people to do this of the families in like Africa, who it's all about like expressing your mourning and getting it out now. So it doesn't linger with you later. And they're screaming. This is that thing. This is, well, this is like the old Richard Pryor bit, you know, black people die like this and white people die like this. Well, the other (laughs) thing was what is now we've already mentioned sailor suits on children, uh, candles on trees, dead people in your house. I know. And, and, and I know, you know, that's why we have funeral homes now. So, you know, to to have your, your dead father in the funeral room, um, I'm going to, I'm now going to counter. There's a famous story Richard Harris told of, uh, in his village, there were a group of guys from his childhood. They would get together once a year and they would drink and go from pub to pub and do Richard Harris like things. <laughs> and it was the first year that somebody in the group died. And in, in the UK, especially in the country, it is customary to have the body and have the wake in the house. And they did this in this one house. And then they took the body with them to hit the pubs. So they would bring, yeah, they bring the bodies and they put it on the bar and they do around and go from pub to pub. And eventually they went to a pub that was raided and the police are coming through with the billy clubs. All right, move along, move along. And they see this body on the bar, poke it with the nightstick. And it's, it's, it didn't react. Oh my God. Yeah. So apparently, yeah. So apparently I'm sorry, back to this movie. Yes. In the funeral room, that's where you have the funeral. Apparently. It's, uh, can, I mean, can, I can't imagine being a child and right? at any point just being able to go see your dead dad. You know what I'm saying? Right like, there. I mean, of course, of course, not, the that, body's not, not going to stay there forever. Yeah, but Not waiting to get picked up by the coroner, not ready to get, but it's just, it's there in, you know, in state. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a very strange experience. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, that that scene, the the mother's mourning scene, is actually the first moment in the film that really took me. I mean, and, it's and mother's bill. Yeah, well, yeah, knowing me, that's what it takes apparently. Uh, because prior to that, it really is setting it up. Th- this movie has a very distinct structure. It's like the first hour is setting up everything. The second yep. hour is like the new marriage and establishing what that is, well, and then the and- third hour is something different. We also get the grand funeral and the grand dinner that goes with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. y'all can keep your y'all can keep your potlucks and casseroles. These people dress up and they eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah, and it just so much and twenty and, course meals that take twelve hours and and that's the thing god. where they have like a quartet. 
Yeah. They literally cut That's... over as the kids are excused, and there's like legit a quartet just playing, which again almost and, and seems it, like a joke, but it doesn't feel like one. It's just funny no, to think I, of. I, I, yeah, we're chuckling. And there's also moments where this happens throughout the film where Alexander sees his father in a white suit. And and if you're a theater fr- if you're a theater nerd like me, it reminds me of Willie Loman's brother Ben in Death of a Salesman, who kind of shows up and he's just, and it's a way of saying, you know, you're still in your, th- they're still in your thoughts. Yeah. And it's interesting that Bergman does it in a positive light to a certain degree in this one. And it's the last kind of bummer moment at the end of the film, which we'll get to in a moment. Well, it's, it, it almost harkens back to Cries and Whispers with another character that seems to yeah. come back from the dead in a strange, uh, kind of metaphorical way, I believe. Um, But in in this way, I love how you put it, though. I I feel like it's actually done better here because it's very, very clear that it's Alexander, like you said, like he's in his thoughts and he's thinking how his dad like would respond to these things. And he's he's just always seeing it through a lens of his father. Right. Yep. Um, because his father yep. always shows up in these kind of pivotal, important moments. Well, but I'm going to I'm going to if you I'm going to share this because you ahead. you opened you opened up earlier. My as I mentioned earlier, my mother died of cancer when I was finishing up my my junior year of college. And uh, I was I was told early on the first year is going to be the roughest. And what happened that first year for me, my senior year of college was I would have the same dream. When a significant moment happened, it would be my birthday, Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, the opening of a show. When I graduated, I had the same dream. The phone would ring. I would pick it up and it would be my mother. And she would tell me how happy or how proud she was for, you know, Merry Christmas or hope you had a great opening. And I could hear her and I would try to speak to her, but she couldn't hear me. And it would be just this one minute conversation. I could hear her on the phone and then the phone went click. Yeah. And this was the dream I had for a year. So yeah. seeing Alexander seeing his father really, really resonated with me. Yes. Yeah. And, and, but these are the things that again, uh, sometimes I think Bergman has like a really special touch of if now some of these things, I hope one, we never experience and two, um, yeah. I don't know if we can in some cases, um, right. but uh, in, in cases like Fanny and Alexander, as well as Cries and Whispers and all three of these movies we're talking about, these are things that depending on your life experiences, I think, again, it can inform how you respond to these things. And though uh, I didn't have those dreams, I do often still to this day think about when I do something like uh, it's like those old uh, silly bracelets. What would Jesus do? WWJD. It's like, yes. what What would mom do? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I don't want to pattern myself after my mom. I loved her, but we had very different decision-making right. <laughs> like choices and things. You know, um, but I do often think, like, what would mom say about this if I was doing this? You know what I mean? Um, and, and so, like, watching Alexander kind of experience all of these things and constantly be thinking of, like, basically he's juxtaposing – because it changes dra- dramatically. When he was with his father, there was like a lighthearted aspect to the home, and he was like very happy. And now jumping into the kind of second part of the film, which we can talk about, when the yep. bishop comes into the story, he's very strict, he's oppressive, um, and he's abusive. And uh, friends, la- ladies and gentlemen, and those that are ne- neither ladies nor gentlemen, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb and say this is the mo- the bishop and Fanny and Alexander is the most loathsome character in an Ingmar Bergman film. And this is a man who had death 
and the devil as characters. Yeah. Um, this guy comes straight out of a Dickens novel and is going to take charge and makes everything look like the set of scenes from a marriage and locks (laughs) the kid, locks the kids in their, in their upper room. And, you know, um, just, just a really, really ugly guy. And I know Bergman, Bergman had a history with organized religion in his life. His father was a person of the cloth. And so, um, he, he's always kind of painted, uh, pastors and reverence with the uh, kind of a gray brush, no gray brush in this one. This is, this is just an awful, awful guy. Yeah. And, th- and that's something I wanted to touch on in a second. Bring me back to that. The Bergman sure, sure. His history with that. Yep. Uh, but yeah, this guy, this Bishop is really terrible. Like you said, locks him in the attic. They have like, it's a room. It's not just an attic, but he locks him in the yes. attic with just like this generic, it looks like a, a prison mattress. <laughs> like just like this like really generic mattress and like a small blanket and uh like I mean just like nothing comforting at all. Uh he beats them when they do things wrong. But this is what I was saying about Alexander's kind of rebellious nature. Yeah. Is like he'll just straight like this bishop is just like, "All right, uh you did this thing wrong. You lied. You need to you need to apologize to your mother and ask her forgiveness or or his or whoever he was right. whoever was wronged." So he'll walk up and say it. Well, eventually he's just like, "I refuse." to ask for forgiveness. And when you get to know who the bishop is, you just go, Oh fuck. Like fuck. what's about to happen? You know? Yep. Um, it's, it's hard dude. But then I, 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 the whole time I was watching it, you touched on this. Uh, I just kept thinking of like, I wonder how much of this is either one autobiographical to at least to some parallel extent, or yeah. if it's just how he pictured it, regardless of whether these things happen to him, if this is like him, uh, exhibiting the type of oppressive behavior that his father had. Right. And I, and I think, again, this is, um, everybody has their own, like their own spiritual or cinematic background. Everybody has their own spiritual background. You know, I, I was an altar boy for nine plus years. I never got hit by a priest, thank God, or, or worse. Um, you know, but the, but the fact that this guy, and, and yeah, Alexander's kind of, I hate to say it, Alexander brings it on himself, but he's a kid. He's going to be a smart ass. He's going to he's going to rebel. If he's told A or B, he's going to say C. And he's saying and, that there's wrong shit going on in these to an extent there's almost a level of integrity in this kid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's a principle standing and he's up, like he's standing up to him. Yeah. It's like we wish we could do that. It's like you would never do that to your dad. You know, it's it's the old Richard Pryor bit of, you know, your dad would just say get your ass out in the middle of the street while I start the car. And, you know, we, there isn't, yeah, there's certain a nobility to, to him standing up to his, uh, to his new stepfather, but it's like, God, I could never do that. Yeah. And you see him act this way, like a little bit when his father's alive in the early parts, but it just is a little bit, it's like juxtaposed with this and you go, Oh right. God, like, like you're not surprised he's acting out at this point because right. of yeah, how the, his the, family the, dealt with it. The death of his father could bring on the uh, no, you know, no fucks given button that uh, he now he now embraces. Yeah, yeah, it's now, it's now pretty... on, the, on the plus side, he does he does get BB Anderson as a dowry maid, so that's not bad. Yeah, you know, <laughs> sorry, I'm a terrible guy. I know, I know. No, no, it. Um, hold on one second. Let me make sure I have something right here. <laughs> that BB Anderson's a dowry maid. <laughs> no, no, I thought I thought Harriet. Anderson was in this. Was it Harriet Anderson? Hold on, oh, I'm double checking because I, I I would be more uh, prone to you, being you wrong. You more on Harriet Anderson is. A- oh, it is Harriet. Okay, uh, Justine. This we're talking about the the 
uh, kind of greasy looking weird put hand gla- wound. And you put glasses on her and she's terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, know. she's no greasier than she was whenever she was dying and crying and whispers. I'm like, they're just trying to make her unattractive and like lowly. You know what I mean? So I was like, what did, what did Bergman, what did, yeah, what happened in a relationship with Bergman to make her do, yes. Yeah, yeah. But she, I, I actually, that was my next note. Funny you bring her up because I put Harriet Anderson is awesome. Uh, and, Oh, I, it, it auto-corrected to she's so sleepy in this, but I put she's so sleazy in this <laughs> yes, because yes. she's like this. She's like that. I don't know. I think the stereotype is usually you have that real sleazy uh, man or like guy character that like finds out something and then he goes and starts shit with like another party or whatever. But this sure. one is like just like the the housemaid or whatever. And, Snitch, uh, basically. Yeah. And she's she's just like uh, kind of ratting out on these kids and stuff. But she's like awesome, even in this role, and it's not even like a huge role, you know what I mean? But like, and you it, can't help but when, see Harriet Anderson because you know her. When when you have it, when you have like like the acting company in the show, um, you know, if you have it, uh, Ingmar Bergman had a great core of players, and they could be the lead in one film and then just come off the bench in another because the, the director and the actor are going to make it interesting no matter what. Yeah, it's great. Uh, that, yep. that I, I love, I love Harriet Anderson. She, she's great. Uh, and yes. I, and I, th- I thought the last, and this is all going to be like a, a, a big, uh, a thing that I'm going to pass off to you. Cause I don't know if I, I can tell by what you're saying, you'll probably disagree. Okay. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think, I think the last hour, uh, was by far the best thing for me, especially there's a great scene and this isn't what I think you'll disagree with, but there's a great okay. scene, uh, where the mother, uh, Emily, I believe is her name. Just um, under his under the dude's spell. It's yeah, like you, but, you but just, at this point she's not. At this yeah, you point, want it, you want it, you want it to be like share and slap her and go snap out of it. Yeah, but but this at this point she's talking to if I remember correctly her mother who like uh uh who whoever was uh Erland uh oh my god why can't I think of names right now uh Joseph sends uh. Not partner, but like the kind of but old friend. Yeah, yeah, old friend, the best friend. Yeah. yeah, flame. Yeah, but like the mother Emily is talking to her, and right. she's just like, she's just like, I basically kind of like, a, I got to get my kids out of here. I want a divorce. He won't let me. Like, yeah, he'll take the kid. Like, dude, that scene was heavy. And from that point on, that's right at almost the the two hour mark. So you have the last yeah. hour of them trying. Like, it's almost perfectly split into three parts but they're all like equal parts it's not like a first act play friends yeah 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 very much that yes very much that and so from then on i was like man this is like it started feeling heavy at that point this is the most dickensian of this of the section because and i i've never i i i I respect uh charles dickens but there's also a lot of stories of kids being oppressed and misery and god are they gonna get out of it and yeah. you know, and, and eventually, you know, you bring in Erlen Josephson, who who is a friend of the family, and by the way, Jewish, and that's going to be put against him in this film. So yes, we get sailor suits and candles on trees, and just overt anti-Semitism uh, yeah. comes out here when he kind of rescues the kids by hiding them in a trunk, but he's got to take an ass whooping from Reverend Do Right first. Dude, uh, question about that yeah. scene, real quick. Because uh, this is something I actually didn't quite understand again because I haven't had enough time to go back and watch it or process it. I rewound it, yeah. and I still didn't get it. He st- – all right, so this isn't 
really, this, I don't think this is a spoiler at all. What you just said, the thing about uh, rescuing the kids in a trunk. It's also a 40-year-old so, film, friends, yeah, yeah, but I yeah. try not to. Well, no, yeah, I'm not worried about it. But, so he, he goes and he buys, like, uh, this, this Jewish dude that's friends with the family, uh, buys this trunk from the oppressive bishop. And yep. uh, it's a funny scene almost because he every time the bishop leaves, he like runs really fast upstairs and he's like talking to the kids like, get ready. We got to do this. And he runs back down. He's like out of breath. <laughs> he's like, talk. it's like almost yeah. funny. You know, I mean, I think it's meant to be a little humorous, but um, but it is uh, maybe it's not. But I took it that way. I thought it was I thought it hit. Yeah, yeah. I thought it hit well. So so he like gets the kids in the trunk. And the bishop's like, fuck you, guy. You're trying to rip me off. And he runs up to the thing and sees the kids on the floor. Well, I, I say because what happens earlier was he, he the 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 Earl and Joseph's character wanted to buy the trunk originally and didn't do it. And then yeah. uses yeah. and then changes his mind as the excuse yes. to rescue the kids. And. It's you know what I think if if, if you shot it like a heist film today we would we would take a camera and follow Bishop Do Right and he would notice that the kids are missing and then you or Argo and and then you see Josephson take the trunk and then get it onto the to the wagon as fast as possible and get out of there before Dude. you know Reverend Do Right could be outside shaking his fist yeah. on the sidewalk yeah. and Bergman doesn't do that it was it's just kind of shot the camera really doesn't move we get to hear the action of okay he just found out all right get him out and get moving yeah so so i love that but here's the thing i rewound it when 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 the bishop and his like uh the his assistant or whoever she is like yeah. runs in to see the kids are on the floor yeah that's and i don't understand because then the very next scene basically is you see that he got the kids out in the trunk and this actually confused me, and I couldn't figure this out. And I was going to bring this up. No, it's it's Ingmar Bergman's Ocean's Eleven. It's the Ocean's Eleven moment of Bergman's first. No, I don't know. It's yeah, just, no, it was it was that was like one confusing. Although I love that whole sequence, I thought it was so great. Yeah, but like, yeah, I was just like, I still to this day, I gotta like read about because again, I didn't have time to like dig in, but I gotta figure out. I'm actually just gonna go rewatch that scene again because I just can't put it together. Okay. Um, but anyways, it was a great sequence. But he, here's the thing. Here's the thing I was getting to earlier. Um, kind of like cries and whispers. Um, I love what this movie's doing, and unlike cries and whispers, I don't have any of those moments that make me go, "Ooh, like it like takes me out of it or something." On like a personal right. level, right? Like this movie's fine, but it made. I just like for the first like hour, though. I thought it was like cool what was happening i just didn't care about anybody and okay. so then when you get to the second hour i love the stuff with the bishop but it started getting like a bit overplayed to me so it made the three hours feel like a slog for me okay. like I'm, i like i felt like i checked the time like a ton of times and i'd only been like 10 minutes and it felt like 30 and i'm not i don't mean the down talk real quick i don't mean the down talk no, this no, movie. Right. it is an impressive piece of film and i ultimately like it like overall, because I just like Bergman, but there's just something about this one that kind of left me a little cold. Give me your thoughts on. No, I, I see. I understand you. I would say when it comes to from cinematic version to television version, it's got the kind of flip side effect of scenes from a marriage. And a part of it is we have so many characters to introduce in the family, in the company, yeah. in the household. You know, we, 
We've been chatting about this film for a while. We haven't mentioned the uncle with the maid and he's got problems. And it's kind of, yeah, you can spell that friends. You can spell that out phonetically. So, I mean, and so there is that kind of chamber drama, costume drama. People either really dig, if you're a fan of Downton Abbey, but it's Swedish, you know, you, you'll probably yeah. dig yeah. the first half of Fanny and Alexander, like Austin's been mentioning. And it feels like, yeah, I think we're immersed, we're thrown into the world for the first hour or so before things happen. Yeah. Which I think so is I a great, that. yeah, I think that's a great structure to have too. Like, give us all this time, let us feel comfortable in the world before you kind of throw in the wrench, so to speak. With and the before vision. Charles Dickens comes into the story, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> but I like, uh, but yeah, like, like there's just something about that first hour, and I, I'm glad that you brought up the TV aspect to it because if it was made for that, re- like if it was made to be that first, even though they released this first. If it was made to be that miniseries, clearly it had to be because he filmed everything. So I'm assuming it right. did. Right. But um, yeah, it's like it almost is almost like a, a TV formula, but they don't have the time, the TV time to pull that off. And I just yes. like, again, I don't think anything was bad. I mean, there's that stuff with the uncle and yeah, like the the uh, uh, the I think it's his partner, actually. I don't think it's the, the maid in that situation um, where they're in the room and. They they uh, lock the door so that the maid can't come in and and they start, try to have a romp and then he can't you know complete his mission and then uh, <laughs> you know and then but then like they, that, he's, that's he's, a single entendre that's yeah <laughs> but he's like he reminds me of like some a character from like Smiles of a Summer Night or something <laughs> like like he's just like this goofy well done, guy sir well done yeah but he's like this goofy guy but he's also he's funny like I like him. Yeah. But I, I guess like all we of also, those characters, we also have the Bergman moment of a character breaking wind on camera. So, dude, that's such a weird scene. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's a, you mentioned earlier about Kubrick. Kubrick would make this guy eat like you know ethnic food of choice and try to blow it out his ass literally for sixty or seventy takes. Dude, I'll just say this: the dude farts and blows out candles, but someone was holding that candle, and I'll tell you what, they were not over eighteen. I'm just saying. Bonus pay, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> that's just like someone took that like a champ of course it probably yeah. was i mean it was not a real fart but in the movie it is uh but yeah, yeah. like there's silly moments like that and, and i thought that was like just like these funny little weird almost lighthearted touches and yeah and, the, uh, the the kids scaring the maid when they're supposed to be in bed and it's you know it's but it's a holiday and Kids are, you know, mischievous and the maids are young and they, you know, the younger maid gets chewed out by the older maid for, you know, you got to keep them in order and keep them in line and then go, go shoot up the uncle or whatever. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot. There is a lot and, and, and it's all good. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's not that this is bad stuff. I think it was more of like all of these characters. I could almost pinpoint a character in an older Bergman movie that I think Uh he did better. So, so we're getting like, almost like this sounds worse than I mean for it to, I mean this lightly, but we're almost getting like second rate versions of these characters (laughs) that are built into storylines that I don't care enough about. Do you get what I'm saying? So for as much praise as I've passed on this movie, this is another one of those that I feel like a heretic because so many people love this movie, dude. Like, well, it's funny you mentioned that because I'm going to. You you reminded me of um, there's a great opening line in the Squid and the Whale Noah Baumbach Love Noah Baumbach's yeah. early films yeah and uh, 
and uh, Jeff Daniels is the father, and he was a one-time successful author. And they're at the dinner table. It's Laura Linney and Jesse Eisenberg, the other kid. And I think he, she, the mother brings up, I want to say, A Tale of Two Cities. And Jeff Daniels, without even looking up, still eating his plate, just says, it's Minor Dickens. Yeah. And yeah. my daughter and I laugh so hard because it's just a great level of pop culture debaggery. And so I mentioned where I think Bergman's one of those directors, at least for me, you know, anything less than a home run is going to be a letdown. And so when you say you can say something like even even when I say is his worst film or many have said his worst film, Serpent's Egg, you're like, it's minor Bergman. Yeah. And so so anything that happens like, yeah, it's minor. It's a minor Bergman. Yeah. Moment. It's well, okay. It's still heads and tails above most of the stuff that's put out there these days. Absolutely. And, and but it does have like it does have a whiff of baggery about it. And I know I do it all the time. Yeah. No, I, I I'm not even ashamed of it. Like <laughs> it's it's um. <laughs> One of my notes actually says it like I rate Bergman on a different tier than a lot of filmmakers because Correct. he's just so good. Yeah. And I never yep. knew how good he was. Like I said, before this marathon, I had only seen Seventh Seal, Wild Strawberries, Persona and Hour of the Wolf. That was it. Oof. And wow. but I had seen them in like the mid 2000s. I haven't watched them since. I've bought right. the Seventh Seal on like four different you know, media generations or whatever, <laughs> but I didn't watch them only the first time on DVD, yep. on like the old Criterion version or whatever. <laughs> and I got it through Netflix when it was only discs. So, um, you know, I get to use your, like I'm showing my age thing, but there you go. That's all right. So anyways, like, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I haven't, I hadn't watched much Bergman until we started doing this. I started watching all the early stuff and then we picked up with smiles of a summer night and started working through these. And uh -huh. I didn't realize how much I adore Bergman. He's so good. Sure. Like, I feel like I get Yay. it now. Like you said, we grow uh, into movies sometimes. And I love Bergman. And so, yes, you're right. <clears throat> this is more on, same with Cries and Whispers. There is a tier that these movies still reach. Yeah. They're just bottom of that tier for me. But that's still above all the other movies in the tier below, right? So Got the it. fact that this won awards, cool. Like, I get Very it. Cool. Like this was better than probably most movies that came out in 1982. <laughs> and I like 1982. I'm not even <laughs> like giving it shit. I'm just saying like, this is impressive to watch. And again, on paper, it's impressive what he's doing. And it shows that even right. on his last theatrical big release that he did, Bergman still had it. But like with a lot of filmmakers yep. and even Hitchcock, the great Hitchcock, uh, which this year is, funny enough, uh, 100 years since his first uh, credit. It's It was unfinished, so that's why I'm not doing a Hitchcock marathon this year. But 100 years since his first IMDb credit in 1922, by the way. So My, um, I got to see I got to see his last film, of course, Family Plot. I got to see that in the theater. That was the yeah. Well, and it was for a while. That was the only Hitchcock film I'd seen on the big screen until. The 1996, I believe it was the 40th anniversary, or 30th, no, 40th anniversary of uh, of uh, Vertigo, and you know, there was a period where Universal was kind of reissuing. 58, um, so it'd be 2008 or 58, uh, 1998 sorry, yeah. or whatever. 1998, yeah. So you know, and this was they were doing it on video, and I was living in Chicago for at the time, and so you were able, I was able to see it on a big screen. So anyway, but yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I get it. I get it. But yeah, so oh, by like, the way, so I'm, like, I'm looking. I'm looking at best foreign film for the year Fanny and Alexander won. Um, the other nominees, The Ball from Algeria. I don't know it. 
Carmen from Spain. I do know it. Entre New from France. I've seen that. It's been a long time. And the revolt of the revolt of of Job from Hungary. So you know, I haven't heard good, of good year for Bergman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy win. Um, no, I, I haven't. I haven't uh, heard of the first one like you, but I've heard of the others. Just haven't seen any of the others. So. I guess I can't really speak, but it doesn't sound like he had uh, those don't seem to have lasted the test of time like Fanny and Alexander. And uh, so, yeah, it's a different tier. So if I criticize this, it's like very important to me that the listeners know all of these Bergmans are worth seeing. You know what I'm saying? It's just for me now having seen I, I don't even know how many of his movies I've seen on top of the stuff I haven't talked about on here. Um, but, uh, you know, by the time I rewatch some stuff and everything, it'd be 20 movies, which 20 movies by any director is a lot of movies. If you're focusing on one filmmaker, you know what I mean? I'll tell you what, if we, if you want, send me the list of films of his, you have seen, and I'll hit you with five that you probably should see. (laughs) Yeah. Because you don't have enough going on. Yeah, well, the thing, well, the thing is, luckily, most of his movies aren't three hours; they're like ninety minutes. Right. Yes, so um, I can actually <laughs> knock out a lot of these ones I want to see because I already looked, and I think the longest one's ninety six minutes or something. So, right. um, and one of them's like seventy something; like it's a lot shorter. So, uh, sure. yeah, it's there's there's a lot going on. Um, but anyways, uh, basically, uh, yeah, the last hour really got me, but it took that full two hours to get me. And though I did really like some of the stuff with the uh, with the uh, bishop, and um, like is a strong word because uh, it sucks. Um, but there's like you know it clearly you know it shows him beat the boy once with a cane, and then you know a while later you don't really see the boy get beaten anymore. But the mom finds the boy in the attic and his ass is bloody from being yeah, beaten with a cane, like his backside basically. I don't that sounded wrong, but like you know, but he's been beaten so much he's just bloody, um, right. and it's just like man, that's tough dude and then when we well we mentioned earlier with uh the earl of Josephson character taking the kids and rescuing them and, and the there's this wonderful if you have mushrooms i would say take them then of <laughs> going you know that he has a magic shop and so there's a puppet show and there's yeah. marionettes and there's you know another another aspect for alexander of where does fantasy and where does reality meet and there's this wonderful gray area because you know, he's in a safe spot. They don't, you know, the, the pastor doesn't know where he is, where the kids are. But you're you're in this thing that uh, another film would make it sound creepy. I know some folks have hangups on puppets and marionettes and things of that kind, uh, clowns. Uh, but but in this one, it, it just kind of feeds to his imagination of, of being in a safe place. But it's, it's just a, a slightly off-putting. Yeah, at least in my case, slightly awkward. Yeah, and somehow this place that uh, Josephson has somehow this place is huge too, enough to get lost. God, yes. <laughs> what? Who's the broker? Who's the real estate Gosh, broker? Sweden. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's um th- this movie. I mean, you can just watch a trailer of this, and you'll know. And, go ahead. I was saying, and if you're if, if you're a fan of Dickens, uh, without giving away too much on a forty year old film. Somebody gets their come up. It's in a in a fairly harsh way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Berg yeah. is not going to let that slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, this is again three hours. Um, it's it's a long Bergman movie. Um, I felt the time, but here's the thing: if you watch if you watch the trailer, you can tell that this is something special. I mean, you can yep. just see just with the set design, and if you again, especially if you know Bergman. 
Um, you kind of kind of know what you're getting into a little bit, even though I think this will kind of subvert those expectations. This is a little different, um, but yeah. it is it is kind of um, it did actually feel kind of swan songy to me. Which I mean, that is a, Yo, not a bad totally. thing. Not a bad thing. No, I get it. Like if you if you look at if you look back at a filmmaker's work, um, and and I know this uh, well, and this is a great example of that where it does feel like it's a grand gesture, and this is it. I'm going to be done. But like you know, in show business, you never say never. And and so like I you know the, the big news as far as swan songs was you know Tarantino has talked about he wants to stop doing films at a certain time yeah. because he thought of certain directors who went too far went too long and made these kind of bloated not good Hitchcock. wish he wish he quit while <laughs> I, yeah kind of quit while they were ahead sort of thing yeah and and he's trying to do that and i i i understand that but there's also you know i love aging athletes because i'm built like a designated hitter so i love athletes in their 40 especially when they won't fit and I'm, I'm built like a you know i'm built like a 40 year old designated hitter in when i was a kid and so there's that aspect of knowing when to let go um i think of john houston thank god john houston's last film wasn't annie you know he was able to do pritzy's honor which is pretty grand but his last film was the dead which is just a small intimate lovely little story and a much smaller scale than this but no i get what you're saying as far as it has a swan song feel to it yeah yeah and and it's a great final theatrical kind of thing he did 12 tv movies after this yeah ending so, on saraben so i mean like it, he continued working but in terms of these grand theatrical things well, um, and this was another we were mentioning earlier when when a a filmmaker especially a foreign filmmaker when seeing their movie was an event and this was the last well except for sarah band i should say but that was the last this was the last great cinematic event for ingmar bergman you know yeah. uh because fellini fellini was getting older at this time kurosawa was getting older at this time well, they were all getting older godard and truffaut all of them yeah. so and all, all of them all the guys you just named i think kind of had their final great hits in the 80s i want to say because uh, you had and the uh, business you had, was, the business was changing. It was so. well. That's the thing. Yeah, the business was changing. They weren't getting funding. I mean, Kurosawa couldn't make Kagemusha until like George Lucas and Spielberg or oh, someone came in to produce it. Yeah. I mean, the, like these huge heavy hitters at the time when these when like Cries and Whispers were made, like these ones who had these huge events. 10, 15 years later, we're struggling to get movies made, and Kurosawa made stuff into the nineties, but Ron was really his last banger. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, not, right. not to speak down to like Metadio no. or Dreams or any of that. No. But I mean, like, Ron is the that big. That was his last huge thing. Could you imagine pitching Fanny and Alexander to a Hollywood studio these days? In now, 1982. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't have to, but you know, he had enough clout in Scandinavia to pull that off. But that's, you know, that's the other part of, God, imagine trying to pitch this and then you get hit with, well, I'm sorry, you get hit with bullshit like, you know, Hollywood, mid America, multiplexes, video, streaming, rentals, yeah. and the hot movies. You know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. have come out recently. You yep. know, like all of these big bangers, like, like these big uh, Hollywood huge like Spielberg type movies and, and poltergeist and all this shit. I'm not, I'm not saying that these had come out no. yet or not. I don't remember when the exact dates were, but the point is though, like when you have movies like that, this is not interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like it's if, not, if, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's to, to quote F Murray Abraham and inside Lewin Davis. Yeah. I'm not hearing money here. Yeah. Yeah. 
exactly. But you know what, though? Uh, I'm really happy that this was kind of like uh, the the last kind of big theatrical thing he did, but not the last thing he did. And I'm also happy that people like uh, uh, Siskel and Ebert were so big on it to like push people to see it. Um, yep. I'm so glad that Bergman at a time whenever blockbusters were really starting to hit hard and the system was <laughs> yeah. changing that we get like basically a Swedish art film again that doesn't feel quite as heavy, of course, as the earlier art films that, that Bergman Although would do. It's intimidating because it's a it was a double tape. It yeah. was a double VHS. You know those, the the, the double oh, yeah. thick ones. Yeah. You're like, oh man, I gotta yeah. the video to store didn't over. have double cases, so they just taped two <laughs> cases together. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, so you had, and your 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 my first newspaper job was in uh, Covington, Indiana, which is a small at that time a small farming community of less than five thousand. This was in the uh, the mid nineties, and I lived in an apart well a house that was broken up into several apartments, and um, and the one of the places that was open twenty four hours so was the IGA plus that I lived behind. So if I couldn't sleep, I could watch them wax the floors. And there would be in one aisle of the grocery store, there would not even be a quarter of the aisle and it was just labeled ethnic. So that's where you old El Paso, La Choy. That's about it. You know, video stores was kind of the same way. You had maybe not even half a shelf of foreign films. Yeah. And yeah. it was probably one Bergman one Fellini, one Kurosawa, if that, or something that just came out. Basically that somebody, stuff that was up for Oscars. If it wasn't up for an Oscar, you're yeah. done. So you might even have yeah. four Fellini, but it's Maybe. like, it's only going to be those. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yep. yeah. You know, this, the same video store had an entire shelf of John Wayne films. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, you just kind of work with what you had. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. This is uh luckily we live in a, well, I guess for better, or for worse, we live in a time where streaming services are huge, and luckily, if you have HBO Max or the Criterion Channel, you can watch Fanny and Alexander, as well as scenes from A Marriage and Cries and Whispers, all at least the theatrical versions. I haven't looked into if their um, their TV miniseries counterparts are also on there, but uh, either way, yeah. uh, I think all three of these are. I think all seven of the movies we covered in this are worth seeing, to varying including degrees, of course. Including your lowest pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even <laughs> though Cries and Whispers was my lowest pick. I still think it's good. Like, go see this thing. Yeah. Like, I'm not even going to. It's like trying to rank like your fate. Like, I like every Kubrick movie. You know, well, uh, Killer's Kiss is a little weird, but we'll take that out. Weird. But starting from like the killers or the killing on, you know. So and actually, wide shut. Yeah. yeah cut, cut Spartacus for me, too. But anyways, but, you know, like, um, but, uh, you know, get those out of there. The, the kind of core of Kubrick movies, I'll say. Like, uh, there's got to be a bottom a bottom, you know what I mean? If you're going yeah, to rank them, but I like yeah. them all. And so uh, all of yep. these movies that we've seen, um, you know, are definitely worth seeing at the very least. If you're someone who's trying to expand your cinematic horizons and haven't given Bergen much Bergman much um, uh, time, you should definitely check out the seven that we picked out at the very least. You can skip for now the really early stuff that I covered solo um, for um. now. But yeah, it's it's funny. I, I I so and I'm as I said before, I'm Mr. Physical Copy, so I have the, the the entire collection. And what I'm what I was happy about with this one is it's curated. Yeah, it is not in chronological or the Berg the, the Fellini one is in chronological order. And and I as I look back at 
the, the, and I went through it. I went through chronologically is like almost 40 discs. And I thank God, because I'm like, if I imagine trying to go through a dozen of his early films before I even got into uh, wild strawberries and smiles on a summer night, summers with Monica, I'm like, Oh God, that'd be a slog. And, yeah. but there's, there's ebb and flow based on theme and tone and, yeah. and you know, all of that. So See, it with, works out well. Yeah. With Bergman, what I plan to do filling in the gaps now is um, I would have started at smiles of a summer night and went chronological going back occasionally to cherry right. pick some early because I'm with you. Sometimes the early stuff, though, it's important to see. It's not going to be as thrilling as finally because I watched six of the first 11 uh, that he did up to Smiles of a Summer Night, which was the 12th, I believe. So the first 11, I watched six of those doing solo stuff before you and I started this one. And yeah. uh, though it was really fun, I can't imagine not having been burnt out doing all 11. You know, <laughs> like the six yeah. I watched, I liked. For the most part. Yep. But um, but yeah, once but then whenever we started this, I was like hyped. Cause these were Good. just so much more ex like just so much more the Bergman I knew. You know what I mean? But it was important yep. for me to watch those early ones to see where he came from. And that was like a big thing for me uh to explore this. And and I'll say this, uh you have these seven movies um that we've we've covered here. We did Smiles of a Summer Night, Wild Strawberries, uh uh, the Virgin Spring, my, Through a Glass Darkly, and then these three. Those were our seven that we did, okay? Uh-huh. If our listeners wanted to watch anything else, do you have a, a handful of others? Maybe, especially if some of them are deep cuts. Like, I haven't seen The Right yet, but for some reason, that movie looks awesome. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> or The Magician, yeah, there's, or there's, any of those. Let's see. There's Actually, there's one. Um, oh, I remember writing this. Well, I wrote this for... Um, I wrote this for the film, yeah, actually. But um, The Devil's Eye from 1960 yeah. is, a, is a Bergman comedy. And I, it's funny because at the time I had watched this, um, where um, I'm clicking, I'm sorry. But uh, I had just finished, did you ever watch the series The Good Place? No. Okay. Uh, um, I it Basically, I had just finished, I just finished the series streaming. I believe we, we, were, we were already in lockdown from it. And I, um, I just finished it. And this is one where the devil sends Don Juan down to earth to seduce a pastor's daughter. Yeah. And Mind you, this is between the Virgin Spring and Through a Glass Darkly. So yeah, he needed is, some levity, life. right? <laughs> no, this is like, this is, he cleanses palate with this one. Um, but it, it's, it's one of the few comedies that he, I mean, flat out comedies that he did. And there were characters and elements that were just uh, just similar to what I had just watched in the series. So I, I would say watch that um, Autumn Sonata because if you if you if you think you have issues with your parents, you should watch Lee Allman and Ingr Ingrid Bergman as mother and daughter. My God. Uh, <laughs> so let's see. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah, there, there's there's a number of those out there. What what do what do you want to look at? Uh, I mean, I, like I said, the, the biggest thing I want to do is rewatch um, uh, the Seven Seal, Persona, Hour of the Wolf, and yep. uh, uh, I also want to watch Autumn Sonata because that's the I think that's that once I've completed those four, rewatched those three, and then watched Autumn Sonata, I think I've hit all of his huge major successes that everyone seems to like. Not that to say that the only good ones, 
I'm just saying right. like the ones that people just go crazy over. And then I, think- I want to throw in the rest of that trilogy uh, with Through a Glass Darkly with Winter Light and The Silence. And then, uh, of course, I'm going to keep I'm going to watch the whole thing eventually. But those six are kind of the ones I want to tackle uh, for sure before I kind of for the podcast, which I'll do in a couple weeks, uh, kind of uh, do a top five for people. Okay. Like, here, here are some I- of my favorites. Um, I'd say, uh, strangely enough, I liked The Magic Flute from 1975. It was basically a film ballet, and it was funny, him incorporating audience reactions kind of tickled me. Uh, you could watch that with Sawdust and Tinsel from 1953, which was another. Yeah. He, this is not, this was, I believe, his first time he dealt with an acting company on the road, and it's more vagabond than the bougie Fanny and Alexander company. Yeah, which is I fine. covered Sawdust and Tinsel actually uh, yep. on, on one of the um, episodes. Yeah. The Magician is another lightweight one with Max von Sydow that has a little grifting to it. Um, All These Women, which has another group of fine ladies, and it's a group of women waiting for their men, their husbands to come home, and you get different, it's it's kind of episodic. But it's the how the how these couples got together. So I think as I, I think I mentioned before with on this, you for me, don't start with Persona. Don't st- I mean, no. maybe start no. with Seven Seal because I because I think you're gonna you're gonna hit Persona and not understand it and think that all of his films are like that and it's not. That was and me. so the tight yeah the titles I've mentioned are are easy. Summer Interlude is another one where it's Summer with Monica where they're lighter fare. And there's simply in, in the case of uh, Devil's Eye and even all these women, there's some funny stuff in it. Yeah. So it's, it's a little easier jumping into the pool with those. Yeah. Yeah. I think also, you know, if you were to start with something like the Seven Seal and Wild Strawberries, that's like two different sides uh, of yeah. the existential coin, I guess. Um, yep. But I also think the Seven Seal fits more into that really cerebral, metaphorical Bergman style. Big time. And yeah. but it's a bit more digestible than Persona, of course. And then Wild yep. Strawberries is very emotional to me. Like that's a very like heartfelt. There's a lot of heart in that movie. And I think if if you even started with both of those, um, that would kind of get you on the trajectory. I'll think more about that. Maybe I'll put together a list as well. Yeah, I think um, Wild Strawberries for me is probably one of the best, if not the best, film about. Uh, nostalgia, yeah, and, it's and so good. as somebody with a five in their age, I'm like, yeah, I get it. I got, it, I got it even more now than I did when I saw it in college. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap us up. Do you have any final thoughts on Fanny and Alexander or Bergman at large that you want to let our listeners know before we close this out? Do it, man. If you've not seen an Ingmar Bergman film or you haven't dug deep, now's the time to do it. I mean, I mean yeah, we're we're it's the it's the dead of winter and things are more open now than it was when we first started with the lockdown. But uh, what have you got to lose? I think that's that's the other thing where we we've we've been stuff and we've been indoors for a long time, uh, which means, of course, you have no right to bitch about the the late running time of anything. <laughs> but um, but give it a shot. I mean, that's I, I always tell people every week on Film Sociology, which is my my podcast at WFYI.org. I hope you watch films that are good, that are at least new or new to you, as well as falling back on old favorites. And I think when we were in the early stages of lockdown, we were tr- I think we were more adventurous. We were trying stuff out because we weren't going anywhere. So, oh, let's, you know, and 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 on your own. Don't let the algorithms 
pick out stuff for you. There's if you're streaming, there's now a button that says play anything. Yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm sorry. Now, I still get algorithms asking me if I want to look at bikini photos of Salma Hayek and Elizabeth Hurley. I get it. That's fine. But <laughs> pick your. Hey, what are you laughing at? Uh, but but you know, pick your own films. Still keep picking your own films, but take a chance on on something like Bergman. And and you've, we've given you lots of titles to start with, and uh, and give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. I th- I mean, I couldn't agree more. And again, here in a couple of weeks, I'll probably do my. Uh, I'll do like a top five, but I'll also just kind of talk a bit more. Uh, I'll do that solo and kind of. Uh, I, I've I've spared you the ranking. Okay. Right, no, um, you want me? You want me there going, giving you shit for number three? <laughs> number three—that's seven at best. <laughs> Screw you! Boom! Hey, you know what though? I will say this: currently, right now, without me watching some of these other titles I mentioned, uh, yeah, my top three are from this. Mar- Actually, I, probably my top five currently are from this marathon. But my top three are from this marathon, um, <laughs> and uh, so I'm very, I'm very excited to kind of talk about that. Um, but you already cool. kind of did let the people know uh, where to find sure. you again real quick. And then we'll close this out. I'm at a, I, I have a show on WFYI, actually WFYI.org called film sociology, a film talk show in year God 14 um, where I interviewed everybody from Academy award winners, not tours to guys like Austin and, and my coworkers. And, and of course what has become a staple now since lockdown was I call it grab a pencil. I go on Facebook and Twitter and ask, what have you been watching lately? And people, it's it's funny because it's now become an event. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People go, oh God, I gotta, let them, I gotta let them know. I gotta let them know what I've been watching this week. Or it's great because I have people, will, I'm sorry, I didn't see anything this week. Or all I watched was TV. And yeah. does do documentaries count? Like, yes, yes, they do. So, yeah. but yeah. What's, what's been great about that and Austin, you've been a, you've been a part of it. And it's great because I've been saying for months, I'm like, Austin, medium cool. I swear we're gonna finish this. Yeah. And, and uh, but uh, but people will tell me I watched so and so because you mentioned it or someone else mentioned it. Or in the case of me, I'm, I'm not showing you my screening room, but I have a stack of movies, of physical copies of movies that I've purchased or have been sent to me, and I haven't gotten to it yet. And if somebody brings up the title, I'm like, huh, I should watch that. I uh, it's funny. I I, I bought a movie called. Uh, Willie Dynamite, which is a, a black exploitation film from the '70s, and there's a, a another podcast called Golan Globus Theater, and they just did a, an episode about Willie Dynamite for for you fans of Sesame Street. Gordon from Sesame Street <laughs> is Willie Dynamite in this film, and it was a, I had the movie and I put it in and I watched it, and that's just kind of how our this is natural human algorithms when it comes to watching movies and suggestions from others. So anyway, it's so film awesome. sociology it's so awesome. at WFYI, WFYI.org. I'm on Facebook, on Twitter at Matthew Sosi, and uh, I'm out and about sort yeah. of, you should definitely of. get involved in this uh, folks. Um, because the, the, the movie thing, even some of my friends, I believe have befriended you on Facebook. Cause I see some of my friends post because uh, of this, be, just to do the film, like they want to post their films and see what people are doing. I mean, it's like, it's a thing. And I keep like, I have to sometimes go back to your last film post to see what the last movie I put on there was because well, and the thing is, and the thing is, and I blame Zuckerberg for this is, you know, I will do it on a certain day, but the show, you know, your people's posts show up at different times. Yeah. So yeah. I have to start with the post I did last week 
after I had recorded the show and pick up, these are first world problems, friends, but you know, and I try not to, I try not to overlap or repeat, but sometimes it happens, but I mean, people want to share what they've been watching and yeah. it's, it's really kind of cool when you've, you know, I will let somebody know. I'm like, Hey, I watched such and such because you mentioned it. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. You should get a, you should get involved in that, but that is our Bergman cinema marathon. This is part uh, three. I may even slip this into a fourth part. It doesn't matter. The point is it's done. Uh, so go check that out. Matthew Sosi, as always, thank you so much for doing this and taking time for it, man. Always a pleasure, Austin. Hang in there and we'll, we'll visit Bummersville another day and another time for another film. Why not? With another filmmaker. Yes. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right, I'm here to talk about, let's clear our throat first, Ingmar Bergman to finish out this whole marathon. We just talked about Fanny and Alexander, his, uh, what people consider kind of his last great film. It was like his last theatrical film. And uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about these and uh, I'm going to try to make quick work of this, but we all know I'm long-winded, so we'll see how quickly this goes. But I'm going to do my top five favorite Ingmar Bergman movies. I'm going to start with uh, number five and work my way back. And uh, I, I the first one deserves a caveat because it's very important that I kind of re-clarify. I think I mentioned this throughout the marathon, but we've been doing this marathon off and on for like the last year. Um, but I don't know how long ago it was, 15 years ago or so, I watched, um, I had seen up to that point The Seventh Seal, Persona, Hour of the Wolf, and then uh, um, Wild Strawberries. Those were the four movies. And then in school, I saw Smiles of a Summer Night. So that was later, but still, you know, uh, up until this marathon, I'd only seen like four or five of his movies. Not very many. Now, I knew a lot about them, but uh, yeah, I, I, I just didn't know enough uh, in terms of context, like watching the movies and, and having like kind of a, a real personal opinion about them. So for this, you know, I I was originally going to kind of disregard the movies I never went back and watched, movies like Persona, Hour of the Wolf, and The Seventh Seal, which I just don't remember well enough. Uh, But then I changed my mind uh, because there's one that just really still connects with me. And quite frankly, if I rewatch it, I might have different feelings. Uh, But I did put it at number five, even though for the longest time it was number one. Uh, but I just feel like I need to revisit it to have an updated opinion. So I'm just going to start with this as my number five, and that is Ingmar Bergman's Persona. Um, Persona was just one of those experiences I saw. Um, I'd been into movies for probably four or five years at that point. Now I've been into movies half my life, over half my life. But, uh, you know, about four or five years in, and I'm sitting here watching B.B. Anderson and Lee Volman just, you know, not only are they great performances in, in the way that they are performing, it's not necessarily like super duper realistic. It's very stylized and it's very particular. It's very, very much the Bergman art film thing. I mean, honestly, I would say it's probably the archetypal, you know, like like when you think of a clown flipping a pancake in black and white and in slow motion, you know, like uh, Family Guy makes fun of sometimes and stuff. Um, which I don't watch Family Guy anymore, but I just remember that one scene still, and it reminds me of Persona. I also talked about that when I watched Cries and Whispers, but this movie is the one. Um, and it's uh, 
It's a young nurse. Alma is put in a in charge of Elizabeth Vulgar or Vogler, sorry, an actress who is seemingly healthy in all respects, but will not talk. As they spend time together, Alma speaks to Elizabeth constantly, never receiving any answer. Alma eventually confesses her secrets to seemingly uh, to a seemingly sympathetic Elizabeth and finds that her own personality is being submerged into Elizabeth's persona. Um, it is very much that. The camera work that Bergman does, I think, is just so unique and so its own thing in this movie. Like, he uses some of these techniques in other movies, but not to this extent. This is what people mimic him for if they're doing a parody or if they're even if they're being serious. I mean, this is Bergman to me. Um, even though now having watched so many of his movies, that's not like the majority of the thing. But uh, yeah, this movie really spoke to me. So this is from 1966. Of course, Bergman made it and... Um, I don't know. It, it's it really is one of his great films. It's widely accepted as just one of his best. Uh, it is not. I don't think it would be my favorite in general now. Um, but uh, I think it would probably be higher than number five based on what I remember. I just remember the uh, visuals being so striking, like they're burned into my memory. I remember the kid with his hand on the screen. Um, I remember the dual face where one person's looking forward and the other person is at a profile, but the profile's taking over half of the person behind them's face looking forward. If that sounds confusing, yeah, it, it is to explain because you just have to experience it. It's just so different. But it is absolutely brilliant. Uh, you should definitely, definitely check that out. Now, my number four is a movie. Uh, the rest of these are movies we watched in this marathon. And uh, my number four is Through a Glass Darkly, a movie that I never thought I would like nearly as much as I did. But um, we, we talked about it, so I'm not going to go into long synopses or anything. But uh, yeah, this is a movie that I have seen. I mean, widely it's regarded as good, but if you go on like Letterboxd or something, among my friends at the very least, it is a little bit uh, uh, polarized, honestly. Um, but I actually thought it was really great. Um, this is uh, another one of those movies that really deals with real shit, but in a very Bergman way. So, you know, like I said, uh, they talk about God uh, like it's a spider. And uh, there are these kind of like sequences where Harriet Anderson is freaking out and it's awesome. And I mean, dude, Harriet Anderson, Gunnar Bjornstrand, Vox, uh, uh, Max von Sydow, and Lars Pasgard. All four of these people, they're the only people really in the movie, and it rules. Uh, this is a movie, this is uh, the first in a, I don't know if they're direct trilogies or spiritual trilogies, because I haven't seen the other two yet, but it's The Silence and Winter Light, two movies I wanted to see before this list, but did not get a chance to, due to not only other uh, medium cool responsibilities, but also, it was my birthday last Saturday, February 19th. And uh, so I had a lot going on with just like family things and all that. So I just didn't get a chance, unfortunately. Um, plus, we're going to be going on vacation soon. And I had to like get ahead on certain movies. We're going to be doing a, a Kurosawa thing for Kurosawa's birthday and all that. So I just had other stuff to watch. But my point is, Through a Glass Darkly is really great. Uh, you can see it on HBO Max. It's on the Criterion channel. And then uh, you can buy it. And I'm sure possibly rent it through Amazon. Uh, so if you're interested in checking that out, please, please, please definitely do. My number three on this list, excuse me, 
is uh, the 1974 film that we talked about from a couple of episodes ago. I think it's episode 69, Scenes from a Marriage. Uh, I watched the three-hour theatrical cut of this. Uh, there is a miniseries, as we discussed on there. It is uh, on HBO Max, not to be mistaken with the new miniseries that came out, I think, last year or 2020 or something. Uh, this is also on Criterion Channel, and you can find it on Amazon. I don't think it's streamable unless you pay, uh, but you can check it out there. I watched the three-hour cut. I'm telling you, I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't feel like three hours because it is three hours, but I'll tell you, there was never a moment where I'm just straight up bored. This is just a powerhouse performances by Lee Volman and Erlen Josephson. Uh, I mean, this is uh, a really killer movie. Again, we just talked about this a couple of episodes ago, so I don't need to go on and on about it. But I want everyone to know this is a, a must-see to me. I think this is really, really great. And it's just, for as stylized and for as strange of choices as Birdman can make sometimes, even, you know, they aren't necessarily realistic, but they still convey the thing you want to convey. Um, this movie is, man, it's like strikingly raw, but at the same time still has a few of those moments where you're like, I think she would totally react differently than that. But the way she's reacting is exactly the message that we as the audience should be receiving. And I just think that is so interesting. I just felt like this is a movie I could enjoy, but it also I could like chew on what was happening. You know, it was something that my brain never got bored with either. So as I said, uh, my number three is Scenes from a Marriage. Now, my number two, my one and two are equal as far as I'm concerned, but I'm sticking with this ranking. Um, but I love these movies so much. Uh, my And I think these were even on the same episode, funny enough. I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I can't remember uh, that far back. Uh, but The Virgin Spring from 1960 is my number two. The only reason is because I think my number one has more like real substance that we can dig into. Uh, though I don't mean to dismiss this at all. There's a lot going on here. Uh, and The Virgin Spring is fucked. Like, I, I sincerely did not expect this movie when I watched it, even though I knew Last House on the Left was essentially a modern remake of this for all intents and purposes. At the very least, a heavy, heavy inspiration. If you're interested in seeing The Virgin Spring, it's on the Criterion channel, and you can watch it through Amazon, though you will likely have to pay. Um, the Virgin Spring is one of those movies that I have had for since probably 2008. I never watched it, guys. I had the uh, the 50 years of uh, Janice Films, the Criterion box set that has like a billion movies in it. Um, and The Virgin Spring was on there, and that was one I just never watched. It looked fucking boring. So boring to me. And then, and that was more early on, you know, and then by the time 2012, 2013 or so, I just wasn't even looking at that box set anymore. I wasn't looking back at that stuff. I was mostly focusing what I was studying in school and uh, personal interest, personal interests. But uh, man, The Virgin, what a mind blower. Like I just never in a million years would have thought I loved this so I would love this so much. This is a five-star movie to me. I think this is a, an absolute must-see. Um, and and uh, Matt Sosi said this, I think, um, on several episodes. If you're a fan of horror, uh, Bergman isn't necessarily doing horror here, but it is horrific. And it is as brutal as horror movies that we watch. You know, it is as brutal. 
Uh, and dude, I don't, I just don't even know how to talk about this more. The, uh, I doubt this is a lot of people's favorite movie. A friend of mine on Letterboxd gave it two, like two out of five. I think this is a banger. All right. This is a five star. This is a perfect Bergman movie. The fat is trimmed. It is exactly what it needs to be. And uh, I love this very much. And then finally, my number one favorite Bergman film as of right now is Wild Strawberries from 1957. Came out the same year as The Seventh Seal. Um, You can see this on HBO Max and the Criterion Channel. You can also, as I said with all the others, find it on Amazon in different ways. You will have to pay, I'm sure. (coughs) Excuse me again. Uh, But this is uh, the movie about the old man essentially learning a whole lot about his life through uh, the people that he meets from the beginning to the end of the film. And uh, we have Victor Herstrom. I actually just, uh, for my birthday, got his uh, old Swedish silent film, The Phantom Carriage, the Criterion version. Cannot wait to watch that now that I've watched these and this being my favorite. I think Victor Herstrom is incredible. Uh, B.B. Anderson's in this, as well as many others, uh, Gunnar Bjornstrand, as I've mentioned before, and many others. Uh, This movie is a powerhouse. I cried watching this movie. I don't know, I don't think there's been another Bergman movie that I've cried about. I've felt heavy feelings, but this one just hit on a personal level, and it's such an early one, and I just really love Wild Strawberries, and it is largely Victor Herstrom. Not only the character, but the performance that he is putting out to really embody this character is killer. And uh, all of the supporting characters and everything, if you can get into the style of this movie, because this is not one of Bergman's big, flashy, super crazy camera work stuff. This is a pretty straightforward Bergman movie. But man, there's an opening dream sequence that rules. There are multiple dream sequences, but I mean, that opening one is just iconic. It's burned in my memory. Especially there's a, there's one where there's like, like a guy with no face. I don't know how else to explain it. And his head cracks on the uh, pavement and blood shooting out. And of course, it's in black and white, so it just looks like black. Dude, it's, it's fucked and it's awesome. But it, it's really about this super old dude who is just really trying to reflect on his life and realize what kind of a person he is and... Um, I just find it so powerful. Uh, this is absolutely a must-see for cinephiles. See Wild Strawberries, if you don't get it or you don't like it that much, I I beg you, give it 10 years, okay? <laughs> give it 5, 10 years and watch it again because I cannot imagine someone who loves film not loving this movie. I'm not saying it has to be one's favorite Bergman movie, I'm not saying it has to be the greatest film you've ever watched, but if you don't like this movie, I am I sincerely don't understand your existence. <laughs> like I think there's some incredible truth here and I hope you go watch it. So that is the Ingmar Bergman marathon. This was the first marathon. Big 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 shout out to Matthew Sosi for going through it with me. And again, that's my top five. I will, of course, as I watch more Bergman movies over the years, will definitely keep this updated and let you know what changes. I will be back in just a moment, a moment, a moment uh, to tell you a little bit about what we have coming up on the show and uh, to send you off. So I'll be right back. All right. 
right, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, you know listening to the show and all of that. I just want to say a quick thing uh, on uh, what is this month? On March, I guess it'd be March 14th. It's a Monday. We're going to be live streaming uh, a new podcast that I have coming out called Last Week in Wrestling. Uh, if you're a wrestling fan at all, please uh, hit us up. I will make sure that this information is out there for you to find. So definitely make sure you follow Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Again, facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, it will pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also uh, find me at Austin Glidden on Twitter and on Instagram, both the same name. And uh, definitely hit me up. I'd love to chat about movies and, at this point, wrestling, too. But my friend uh, Charlie Eckenbarger, who's been on the show, he is going to be doing the wrestling show with me. And that's going to be a weekly show talking about, you guessed it, the last week in wrestling. Uh, But for this show, um, next week, I am going to have the guy who essentially introduced me to the movies that changed my life, Riley Martin. He's going to be on with me. That's the plan, at least. Uh, Hopefully that doesn't change. And then uh, I will be gone on vacation, but I'm going to pre-record an episode where I cover movies like Big Bug, which I was thinking about doing this week. But when I realized I had the top five favorite Bergman movies, I went ahead and thought against it and figured I could use it for the vacation week. So I plan, and I've already watched all these movies, I plan to review Big Bug, Kimmy, The Fallout, Pleasure, and I Want You Back. At the very least, those five movies will be covered. I'm also thinking about doing something, uh, a Netflix review of sorts, where I pick a movie uh, the week before. So say I did it this week, and I said, all right, cool, Um, on Netflix, uh, Big Fish, the Tim Burton movie is on there. Why don't we watch that, and I'll talk about it next week. And then, you know, the next week I would review that movie. Um, uh, Or I could do stuff that was crowd, like, uh, listener's choice. So I could say, all right, cool, we're going to be doing, you know, I don't know, like music docs and i could say all right on netflix uh metallica some kind of monster no direction home bob dylan and the sparks brothers are out there please hit us up on social media and let us know what you want to see that sort of a thing uh please send me feedback I i would love to know if you guys would actually watch these movies with us and if it's worth kind of adding that work because it will be work for me (laughs) like i'll have to add a movie in but there's so much shit that i want to watch like i would really love to revisit um, like Big Fish. I, I loved that movie. That was one of, if not my favorite Ber- or Bergman, what? Uh, Burton movie uh, when it came out. Now, of course, that is not true now, but I honestly don't remember it very well because I saw it in theaters and a couple times after that, but it was all around the same time. So I don't remember. Or like, uh, you know, Netflix has movies like Cliffhanger and Desperado and Terminator 2. And these are all movies I saw so long ago. Like, I, I haven't seen them recently. So it'd be fun to, you know, kind of like vi- revisit some of these. And there are just some movies I just want to talk about. Like, Nocturnal Animals, I think, is incredible. And it's a movie I'm, like, super excited to talk about. Or movies I haven't gotten to. Like, I never saw The Florida Project. I never saw Good Time. These are movies I really want to see, but I just never have a reason to prioritize them. So let me know what you think about this Netflix thing. I would love to do that as well. Um, but anyways, uh, after the vacation week, though, uh, Joe and I are going to be talking about The Batman. Matt Reeves, The Batman. And we'll probably get into Batman movies that day in general. And then for episode 75, the plan for now is that Matthew Sosi and I are going to cover four uh 
Akira Kurosawa's birthday, which is on March 23rd. Uh, this episode comes out on the 22nd, and we're going to be talking about Kurosawa's Shakespeare trilogy, Throne of Blood, The Bad Sleep Well, and Ron. Um, I am inevitably going to be doing a Kurosawa um, marathon at some point, at some anniversary point. Um, and it's very nice to kind of take three of them out because he has a lot of movies. So we're going to do this uh, for now. Really excited about that. And then, uh, you know, I'm going to be starting a Hitchcock marathon starting in, uh, when, when does this begin? I think April. Uh, so yeah, in April, I'm going to be starting that. And instead of uh, Matthew Sosi, JB is going to join me for those. And then uh, I'm also going to have a gentleman by the name of Rick Jimenez. He was in the band... Uh, this is Hell and Extinction AD is currently in. Um, and I just want to talk to him like I did with Matthew Putman last week on the movies that changed him. You know, he has his own podcasts and all kinds of stuff. And to be a really, really great time. That dude is really fun. So um, I'm really excited. We have a ton of stuff coming up is the point. There's so much in the next, uh, you know, six weeks even. And it's all planned out. I hope everything goes according to plan. But for now, I'm going to let you go. I've held you long enough. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love you all. Good night. Good luck. Take it easy. <laughs>